0: Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sox on Tap. This is Tony Marchese. I am joined tonight by NWI Steve. We're talking about a White Sox winner, and more importantly, we're talking about the White Sox being in first place alone at the top of the AL Central in four minutes. It'll be September 1st. Steve, when is the last time the White Sox were in first place alone to start September, and how does that make you feel?
1: Heyo, Tone. Well, to answer your question, the last time would be like September 17th or 18th of 2012. How does it make me feel? It makes me feel damn good, damn good. Anybody that knows me knows that um, there are a few things in this world I hate more with every fiber of my being than the Minnesota Twins. So seeing the Sox beat them in Minnesota to take first place, it just leaves me all warm and fuzzy inside. Warm and fuzzy inside. That might be the title of
0: this episode. I, I like that. I like that because I'm feeling warm and fuzzy. Might be the beers. Might be the fact that the Sox are in first place. But we've got a lot of breakdown today, Steve. But before we get there, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature podcasting needs, as our guy Buzz would say. And we've got two games to break down. We missed last night, and we missed last night because we thought the White Sox were going to pull off a deal, and there were tons of rumors flying around, tons, and we're going to comment on those, but first off, the Sox won a ball game yesterday, Sunday afternoon over the Kansas City Royals, and Steve, that was a great game because... We got to see Luis Robert walk it off. And I'm not going to get too in-depth with this one. But I think walk-offs, Steve, are one of the most cool and fucking tough things in baseball. And seeing your rookie player, a guy that has just been absolutely phenomenal for the White Sox, walk it off. That's got to be a ton of fucking confidence for this kid. Any thoughts and just how important that was for Luis Robert.
1: Oh, I've got thoughts, Tone. Listen, Luis R- Robert. Oh, has- rolling the R's, double double roll. You rolled the back R too. Hey, the listen. The occasion calls for it here. You know, you hit you hit a walk off dinger, first one of your career. You get the double R roll. So, you know, for for him to go out there after, you know, his first month at the major league level and to cap it off with a walk-off home run to put your team in a first-place tie, what is better than that for a guy that has, you know, like 125 major league plate appearances? The, the growth and the development that we've already seen from him at the plate at this point is just truly astonishing. And to think, you know, he's still going to have his games like, you know, the Sunday against Yu Darvish where he goes over from 4 with four strikeouts and his aggressiveness gets used against him. But he immediately rebounds from that and goes back on a tear I, to, to see this guy just doing the things that he's doing immediately upon being called up. I can't think of a highly touted White Sox prospect that has come up and has had as big of an impact in a positive manner as Luis Robert has. And that is such a departure from what we have grown accustomed to over the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, it's just, it's so awesome to watch. I mean, he is literally just must-see TV already.
0: It's absolutely astonishing. And, you know, we've talked about on this show, specifically Johnny and I, how frustrating it is as a White Sox fan to watch guys come up and struggle. You saw it with yawn moncada You saw a little bit of it with Eloy Jimenez. You still see both of those guys trying to figure out the major leagues. Luis Robert, like you said, is going to have those days, and every ball player is going to have those days, where you're facing a really good pitcher, and you get beat. Or you just don't have it that day. But to come up in clutch situations, he's already doing that. And you're right, he is nowhere near as experienced as anybody else on this roster when it comes to facing major league pitching. And he looks far above any White Sox prospect that we've seen in recent history, in my lifetime. He he looks far above any of those guys. He just, he has it. I, I, sh- I shouldn't say he has it figured out it's more like the raw talent is so high that when he figures it out holy fuck watch out because this guy is going to be a perennial MVP candidate he's just he just has it he absolutely has it
1: yeah I mean you can see it right now and I, I saw I think baseball reference or, or someone had tweeted it out, um, earlier today, that if you extrapolated his production over the course of 162 games, he would be on pace to be like 8.6 wins above replacement. I, I mean, that's that's MVP level stuff right there. And again, he's 23 years old, doesn't even have 150 plate appearances. I I invite everybody out there who listens to this to go pull up mike trout's first 150 plate appearances in the major i am on now, mike trout's baseball reference page right now because it, i
0: you, you threw out the the wins above replacement right there and i'm just i'm, I'm going straight to mike trout's baseball reference page and I, I just i have to go look it up so i'll let you keep talking while i go grab some stats
1: so and and this is not to say that Luis Robert is going to be Mike Trout because I think it's entirely possible that Mike Trout is the greatest baseball player to ever live. So I'm not sitting there saying that Lou Bob is going to surpass that. But to think that a guy of Trout's caliber with his pedigree and everything that he has accomplished could struggle the way he did for his first 150 plate appearances and you contrast that With Robert and the success that he is having with the explosive raw tools, it is going to be absolutely terrifying for the rest of the American League specifically and the AL Central. Minnesota Twins fans, you better get used to what you saw tonight because he's coming for that ass a lot over the next eight years. Oh, he's absolutely going to do that.
0: And it's just it's amazing. Just to watch him over and over and over again, and Mike Trout in his age twenty season because you saw Mike Trout earlier Then we got to see Luis Robert face major league pitching. First year, uh, uh, this would be baseball reference. Be war uh, ten and a half. Uh, that was in 2012 at age 20, and then 2013. What that was an eight nine, 2014 seven point seven. And 2015, uh, in his age 23 season, was a 9-6. So you're talking in the same ballpark with Mike Trout when it comes to that. And by the time Mike Trout reached his age 23 season, he'd already been in the big leagues for four years. So we'll put that into into some consideration here because I think I think Mike Trout, you know, age 20 doing what he did in 2012 is unheard of. But if you're talking about a player that's playing for the Chicago White Sox and you extrapolate those stats out, you look at what that projected war is. And I'm not a big stats guy. I'm nowhere near your level, Steve, when it comes to understanding this stuff. But holy shit, just looking around here on Mike Trout's Baseball reference page. If you're talking about a guy who's slightly a tick below Mike Trout, who's going to be patrolling center field for the White Sox for not even just the near future, they've already got this guy locked down. That is the centerpiece of a competitive baseball team. As long as you surround him with guys like we have in Eloy Jimenez, Juan Mancada, Lucas Giolito a young core, this is the, he could very well be the best player that most White Sox fans who are alive right now are ever going
1: to see. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong in that. If, if he continues his upward ascent and is able to fully maximize all the tools that he has, I mean, look, Frank Thomas is the greatest White Sox player I've ever seen in my life. And I will challenge anyone that Frank Thomas is one of the 20 greatest hitters to ever walk the planet. Frank Thomas is not one of the 20 greatest baseball players to ever walk the planet, however. Um, I mean, Robert, you know, the way he's playing right now, I mean, this is like... It's like mini Minoso type stuff in in the 1950s when he exploded onto the scene. You know, if you go back and if you look at Minoso's numbers, you know, once he came to the Sox from Cuba and and after playing in the the Negro Leagues. I mean, this guy for, you know, uh, the 1950s, the only player in baseball that produced more wins above replacement than mini Minoso was Mickey Mantle that's pretty good company right there. Yes. So, I mean, like, I, we're pro, we're probably jumping ahead of ourselves here and, and just getting really excited by what we're seeing, particularly what we saw again here tonight. But again, it's just such a departure from what we have seen with young talent coming onto the scene here with this team. I this challenge team. you to, I challenge you to this question, Steve, because
0: we 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 both know that we've we've seen promising prospects come up. You know, the names like Gordon Beckham really shine to light here. You know, guys that you think are going to be the real deal. You know, the Sox have had plenty of those guys. They still had question marks, but you're like, oh my god, if Dion Vicieto can figure it out, we've got a really good ball player. This is well, they- so far and above that what 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 do you have here to look at Luis Robert so far and say I could see some regression for the rest of his career this is just this is just beginner's luck. he's hit at every level. He's hitting in clutch situations for a first place team right now. He looks completely comfortable in center field defensively that that that's the other aspect and I know that's kind of the route that you were taking there when you say Frank Thomas might be the one of the top 20 hitters of all time but he was not a top 20 baseball player this guy is as five tool as five tool can get so my question for you is when we sit here and we're thinking oh maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves for just a second do you have anything anything at all that says, well, shit, this could become a problem. Like, what holes do you see in his game right now that you you can sit there and go, okay, maybe he's not going to reach, and and I'll lower the bar a little bit, a six-war player every year.
1: The only only real obstacle that you can think of right now here is, again, because he is so aggressive within the batter's box – um, and he he does swing the bat a lot, so he still doesn't take a lot of walks. And I don't know that he's ever going to be a 10% walk guy. You know, he did he did take another one here tonight, which was good to see. But he does have a lot of at bats where he's just going up there, flailing at a first pitch slider down and away, and and hitting a ground ball on. Um, but again, you know, I, I come back to this he doesn't even have 150 plate appearances at the major league level. Um, So I think it's a little bit understandable that as he ages, as he becomes more accustomed to how pitchers are trying to attack him both in and out of the strike zone, it's not unreasonable to think that that should improve. But I mean, that's really the only glaring thing that you can look at and say, this could be the thing that, that holds Luis Robert back. Well, he's got two guys on the squad right
0: now that have phenomenal plate discipline. And Yohan Moncada and Yazamani Grandal. And if that can rub off a little bit on a guy like Luis Robert, I think you're cooking with fire. You're cooking with gas. You're just – pour the kerosene on this thing and let it go because he just looks like a complete ball player. I'm going to wrap this uh, – Sunday affair with the Kansas City Royals up real quick a uh, few extra notes from this one Dane Dunning gets called up before this game works five scoreless innings only gives up one walk strikes out seven very impressive performance from Dane Dunning in just his second major league start loved what I saw from the kid um, no reason to believe that he should not be in this rotation as basically a three or four guy here in my opinion i don't know how you feel about that but dane dunning so far looks far and away better than a guy like reynaldo lopez does on the mound in just his second major league start we're going to get a dane dunning clunker at some point and i'm sure people are going to question what's going on with dane dunning uh you know he's he's coming off uh his surgery the, the Sox probably have him on some sort of pitch or innings limit, uh, but no hits given up from Dane Dunning through five innings. Was a little disappointed he didn't come back out for a sixth inning. Myself, that's just me personally. I don't like pulling pitchers regardless of pitch limits if they haven't given up a hit. Uh, I just think that that's, I don't know. I'm not just going against Renteria here. There's plenty of managers that do this in, in major league baseball these days, especially with young arms who, uh, are on the, uh, on the recovery side of things, but, uh, just looked absolutely impressive to me. Uh, Steve, any comments on Dunning? And then I'll, I'll kind of quickly wrap this one up so we can get into, uh, some more important things.
1: Yeah. Dunning has been, um, he's been impressive to this point here through, through his two starts, um, pounding the strike zone, you know, and that, that's basically been what he is from the time he got into professional ball. He's going to go in there and he's going to pound the strike zone and he's going to get ahead of hitters. And he's probably, you know, he's been touted as the pitcher having the best overall fastball command and, and control of any pitcher within the Sox farm system. And that has been on full display through his first two outings. Um, you know, the fastball velocity did take uh, a step back Here, this second time out, so it could have just been a matter of him, you know, being amped up and and having a lot of adrenaline for his major league debut in that start against the Tigers. But he was still able to complement that with, you know, good command of a changeup, and and I've really been impressed actually with his breaking ball uh, to this point here. Now, again, you know, he's doing that against the Tigers and the Royals, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when he goes up against a little bit more of a capable offense. Um, But you know, that that pitch has looked to be a plus pitch to this point and you know a lot of the scouting reports I saw never really indicated that being a plus pitch for him so um, I know he has actually credited um, James Shields of all people with uh, helping him to, you know further develop his breaking ball here so um, who knows maybe the truth will uh, pay dividends in that regard
0: is James Shields the future pitching coach of the White Sox and that might be my meatball take of the day no he's not okay all right, just uh, checking okay. with you.
1: No, I will tell you who the future pitching coach of the Chicago Whites is, or White Sox is, Matt Zaleski. And he's the guy that really was working with Jimmy Lambert, Jonathan Stever, and Matt Foster to this point. And, and he's a guy that all three of them have spoke very highly of and helping them to change their repertoires and their pitch mixes to really maximize and take advantage of you know the high-spin fastballs up in the zone that have allowed those guys to miss bats more consistently over the last couple of years. So I think that's the guy that is going to take over for Coop when uh, Coop takes his ass back down to Tennessee for good.
0: So you're not telling me I'm not going to see a 65-year-old James Shields sitting on the bench in, I don't know, I don't know how old James Shields is, but uh, 20, 20-some years from now?
1: I mean, you might. I mean, I just, I, I just don't
0: think it's out of the realm of possibility.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, it, it could happen. I'm not sure that you know either one of us will be around to see it, but you know, hey, who knows?
0: You know, Jerry Reinsdorf will never die. Don't say that. <laughs> so, I, I'm just going after you for some some pregame conversation we had. Uh, there's going to be a 150 year old Jerry Reinsdorf running this team. Uh, anyway, uh, just <laughs> I had to, I had to take the dig. I had to. All right. Uh, just getting back to the uh, the White Sox defeating the Kansas City Royals on Sunday night, five two final score. Uh, you saw the White Sox get out to an early lead, scoring runs in the first or the second and third innings. Uh, Kansas City clawed their way back in the sixth and the eighth to tie the ball game. Game went into extras. We all know how that ended. Uh, Luis Robert took uh, that one into his own hands and uh, parked a three run homer. Uh, to close that ball game out. But on the, on the pitching side, you saw Dane Dunning, like I said, five innings, no hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. Very impressive. Uh, hands the ball over to Jimmy Cordero, who seems to be one of Ricky Renteria's favorite options out of the pen. Uh, he goes two-thirds of an inning, gives up two hits. Uh, he gives up one of those runs, uh, strikes out one batter. Evan Marshall comes in to relieve him, uh, does strike out two, gets through his inning, Despite walking a batter, uh, Steve Cshek. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Cshek talk around here, uh, just because, you know, Steve Cshek is Steve Cshek, and you've got not Steve Cshek out there as well on White Sox Twitter. So um, we'll get into that one in a minute. Uh, Alex Kalame comes into the game. Uh, I believe that was in the ninth inning. Or was that in the eighth? I I forget at this point in time. I'm just reading through box scores here. Colome comes in, gets his job done despite walking a batter. Uh, not a safe situation for Colome, so you can pretty much uh, write the book on that one. That was the ninth inning. Um, he did get the job done there, uh, but he is uh, not the kind of guy, in my opinion, that I want to see there. Really miss Aaron Bummer in that situation. Uh, Jace Fry and uh, Foster come in to close that one down. Um, Foster ends up getting the win there to improve to 3-0 on the year. Matt Foster's been a really pleasant surprise out of this White Sox bullpen, a name that uh, not many people were talking about and uh, has been pitching in some very high-leverage situations over the past few days. Uh, But all in all, pretty solid pitching performance from the White Sox on Sunday, in my opinion, Uh, only giving up five hits uh, total. Uh, two runs. Uh, That's a good recipe for success, if you ask me. Steve, that was a great way to end the weekend, but let's get into uh, what took place after that White Sox game. We saw White Sox Twitter in full force over some trade rumors, and let's do some trade deadline discussion, recap, Uh, Not much to recap, but let's do a little recap on the trade deadline before we get into what happened today. I'm just trying to keep things in chronological order.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, there was a lot of speculation that the Sox were going to make a move for pitching reinforcements. And, you know, we saw... And it was even coming from, you know, some of the heavy hitters like Ken Rosenthal And Jeff Passon. Yes. Stating that the the Sox were in the discussions with the Cleveland Indians. They had a seat at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That They had a spot at the table for Mike Clevenger. And, And that got a lot of people talking and made people think that, hey, you know, the Sox might be looking to do something big here. And, you know, we saw even some speculation on Saturday that the Sox were potentially looking to make a move for maybe, you know, David Phelps. know the reliever with the Milwaukee Brewers and then a name that got thrown around on Saturday afternoon and really kind of set things on fire was the Milwaukee Brewers starter Brandon Woodruff and this thing really took a life of its own on you know starting Sunday after the game ended and I know I was of the mindset that the Sox were going to do something they were gonna make a move for a starting pitcher you know, those two guys were obviously going to cost a lot of money or, or not a lot of money, a, a lot in terms of prospect capital. But then you also had Lance Lynn down in Texas and, you know, you had some national guys linking the Sox to them as well. I know Jim Bowden, um, you know, who a lot of people take issue with and, and he, he's had a lot of misses over the last couple of years. Um, you know, he was on MLB radio say that he really felt that the Sox were in a good position to make a run at Lance Lynn. Now, I had originally thought that the guy that was going to be most realistic for the Sox would be Kevin Gosman of the San Francisco Giants, guy on a one-year expiring contract, a Giants team that is not going anywhere this year, and um, you know Gosman, ground ball heavy guy, seen a, a dramatic increase in his strikeouts this year. I thought that's something that would make the most sense because it would cost the least in terms of prospect capital. And we just kept seeing so much misinformation happening. It, it almost felt like, you know, two winters ago with the whole Machado and Harper sweepstakes. It was like every hour we were seeing some new report come all oh, socks are getting close. It's getting close. You know, oh, they're, they're, they're almost done with a deal for Clevenger. Then it's, Oh, Well, no, they've pivoted now to Woodruff and around and around we went. And three o'clock came today and the Sox did not get any pitching reinforcements. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating in a sense because you see where this team is at right now. They're in a position to win a division title and they need to capitalize on that. But the fact of the matter is that the, the cost f- for acquiring some of these names was going to be exorbitant, particularly Mike Clevenger. You know, an interdivision trade with a team that you're tied with for first place, um, you're going to give up a lot if you want to try to get one of the Cleveland Indians' starting pitchers. So I never really thought that was entirely realistic, um, just simply because they were always going to look to get more from the Sox than they would from any team. And if you look at the return that the Indians ultimately got from the Padres, I don't think it's really that great. You know, there, there's, there's a second pitcher um, that that's thrown in there and his name is escaping me right now. Um, but I've, I've seen a couple of, you know, the more prominent prospect trackers that have stated that this is the type of pitcher that the Cleveland Indians usually go for a guy that throws a lot of strikes. Um, and we've seen the Indians are a pitching factory over there. So, You know that could turn out working real well for them. Cal Quantrill, the main pitching piece that they're getting from San Diego, if you look at his numbers and what he's done in his time with the Padres here since being in the major leagues, it it doesn't really blow you away. This is a guy that was a top 10 pick out of Stanford a couple of years ago. Um, Josh Naylor just has been very underwhelming um, in his time in, in the Padres' outfield to the point where they got rid of him. And so... You had that happen, Um, you know, the Lance Lynn scenario. You you started to hear late in the day about 245, you know, that there was rumors that the Dodgers were were circling around on Lance Lynn. And then ultimately it came out about two minutes uh, prior to the deadline that the Dodgers had backed out in any further discussions because the price was too steep. And my thinking is if the L.A. Dodgers, A team that has the best farm system in baseball right now, or or one of the top three, and they have excess prospect capital at their disposal, and they just keep turning out prospects on, on a seemingly annual basis. If the price was too high for them, a team that is built this year as World Series or bust, then I don't feel bad about the White Sox walking away from the table in this situation with the Texas Rangers over the price for Lance Lynn. Um, the biggest disappointment though, again, the fact that they didn't bring in any pitching reinforcements, particularly for the bullpen, because we've seen this bullpen has really been taxed, especially since Aaron bummer went down. Um, and then about three Oh five today, we saw word come out that the Cincinnati reds had acquired Archie Bradley from the Arizona diamondbacks for basically nothing. If you want to be mad at Rick Hahn for not doing something today, be mad at rick hahn for not getting archie bradley because the, the return that the arizona Diamondbacks got was pretty embarrassing to think that the Sox couldn't have maybe sent michael rodolfo and another guy to diamondbacks and gotten a back end piece of the bullpen there a guy that's got major league closing experience that's very frustrating right there so that's really kind of where i'm at with this whole trade deadline thing Ultimately, they didn't give up any of the significant pieces that they are deeming as important towards their future. But if the prices were as exorbitant as they appear to be, then you hold on to them and you, you kind of reassess things here this winter.
0: Yeah, a lot to uh, to take in there. There were so many rumors. You, you just thought that the White Sox were going to do something today, if not last night. On on Sunday night, you, you you felt that there was something going on, and I, I truly believe that tires were kicked on multiple guys, and that Rick Hahn ultimately felt that the the prices were too high. I, I think that that's that's a valid that's a valid point to an extent, because you look at this White Sox rotation. You look at the bullpen. Heck, you can look into right field and say, we still have some holes. And yet, at, at that point in time, you're tied for first in the AL Central. And bolstering the team would have been very cool and tough. I, I really think that the White Sox did need to acquire somebody. Because... This rotation right now, I'm not banking on Carlos Rodon to return. I'm not banking on any Reynaldo Lopez starts. Dylan Cease still has trouble getting that first time through the order. There are question marks outside of Dallas Keuchel and Lucas Giolito in the White Sox rotation. I felt like this was an opportunity for them to say, hey, yes, we are in a shortened season. No, we don't want to give up. X player in our top 10 prospects. I can understand that. But at the same point in time, Steve, flags fly forever. And the White Sox find themselves right now in a position where they may be able to fly a flag at Comiskey Park. They have the ability to do that. I don't think anybody around here thinks that it's a given or that they will make it that far. However, they are in the mix right now as a ball club to do something very special this season. And save save me the it's a shortened season and all that, all that extra curriculars that you can get into and the nitty-gritty of does this really matter. Every team in Major League Baseball right now is competing for that championship and the White Sox stood pat at the deadline and I don't like that. I understand that Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams sat in a room with seven White Sox players today or yesterday and talked about what the team is going to do and the targets that they acquired and that that news all came out. But do you think for a second, Steve, That inside that room, in that meeting, seven veteran White Sox players all said, don't acquire anybody. We've got this. Because I think everybody who has played a sport knows how important it is when your team has an addition that fills a gap or fills a weakness that you have. It can give everybody confidence. And no, I did not want to go out today or last night, or at any point in time, and mortgage the future by trading guys like Andrew Vaughn, or Nick Magical, or any of those type of players. And I've been one of the biggest Nick Magical trade advocates since he was drafted. I don't think that moving them right now was a smart thing. We've talked a lot about cost control. A lot of these guys offer cost control, and they're great ball players. So I understand where Rick Hahn would be hesitant to give them up. But at the same time, I'm also conflicted because I think everybody who watches White Sox baseball knows they need another starting pitcher.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're definitely right. Um, again, I, I just think... It's it's obviously it's very frustrating. You know, you, you wanted to see them come out of here with something. Like I said, even if it was just even if it was Kevin Gosman, a guy that you know has had some success at the major league level and a guy that can give you innings. Because right now, that's one of the things that this team needs is they need starters to be able to go out there and provide length. Yep. You know, they're having such an issue on days that giolito or keichel are not starting of the bullpen having to cover anywhere from you know 12 to 15 outs and that just that can wear a bullpen down very quickly and when you take potentially your best reliever and aaron bummer out of that equation now you're taxing that bullpen even more so to be able to go out and and get a starting pitcher to help provide you some length and and to take some of the stress and some of the burden off of that bullpen, that really would have been huge. Um, You know, I I think this team still, there's still enough talent here to win the division. Ultimately though, I mean, they're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to play towards the very top end of their ceiling. Yep. Right now, in order to do that, they just they have not put themselves in a position where they have margin for error, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no, it would have been great to add it to deadline. Obviously, the Sox stood pat. They uh, didn't make any acquisitions outside of Dyson uh, this season so far via the trade. But um, you would have liked to have seen them shore that rotation, even if it's a, a, f- a number four guy who can get the job done. Um, every other turn out on the mound. I mean, we're talking about a month of baseball just to finish this stretch, but I I found it a little discouraging uh, that there was uh, somewhat of a lack of movement. And again, neither of us sit in Rick Hahn's shoes and have to evaluate that uh, as the deadline approaches. However... Would have liked to have seen something. It would have been cool and tough. Steve, let's get into today, to, uh, today's game. The White Sox defeated the Minnesota Twins by a score of 8-5. to five. And this one got a little bit ugly early as the Twins put up a three spot on the White Sox in just the second inning. And there were a plethora of errors that were made by the White Sox defense, which is uncharacteristic of what we've seen so far. But the Minnesota Twins were able to capitalize on White Sox mistakes and get themselves out to a 4-0 lead by the end of the third inning uh, when the White Sox finally struck and put up two. But I did have a problem with today's game, and that's the amount of runners that the White Sox left on base. And, yes, we're, we're still talking about a White Sox winner. I, I just I I have to dig in on this. I have to, because that bullpen has not been the same as it was with a solid eighth inning guy. And, and I th- I really, truly feel that if, if a, we're talking about a playoff series and we get a game where Lucas Giolito, like we saw early today, did not have it, you're going to run into problems.
1: Yeah, you know the this game was really a roller coaster of emotions. You know, you have that uncharacteristic second inning with the three errors. You know, one from Adam angle, one from Nick Madrigal, and one from Lucas Giolito. Um, you know, two really sure-handed defenders typically, and then you know Giolito, who's usually a pretty pretty solid um, fielding pitcher. You know, that really was outside of character. And I know a lot of people were kind of sitting there saying to themselves up, oh, here we go again. And look, I fell prey to it a little bit too. Uh, you know, look, here we are up in Minnesota. Everything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. And it's 4 nothing already. This thing could get real ugly real quick. Um, you know, then fortunately, they were, they were able to still have some, some good at-bats and put themselves in position to, to break through. You know, it, it was talked about at length during this game. You know, they had, I think it was four straight innings where they had the first two runners on each inning. Now, several of those instances, they weren't able to capitalize. But, again, they were putting themselves in better positions. They were working rich Hill. They were taking walks. We We saw that happening. So on one hand, it was extremely frustrating to see them not be able to Driving the runners when they had them on base, but at the same time, it was a little bit reassuring in the sense that, okay, they're going about things from a process standpoint in, in a manner that if they continue to do it, eventually you would think they're going to break through, especially a team of this caliber that has been as strong offensively as they have been for about the last three weeks. Um, eventually they were able to do that, um, but it, Again, to your point, it doesn't excuse the frustration with, you know, the first four innings of this game with them leaving so many opportunities out there on the base paths.
0: Yeah, I, I don't even want to look at the team left on base numbers because it's going to scare me. Uh and yet the Sox are still able to put up eight runs tonight. So you you look and you just go down this, this could have been a twenty run ball game for the White Sox. They could, they could have absolutely mopped the floor with Minnesota, even though uh, I, I still feel like they did in an 8-5 to five victory. But you're talking about a lot of runs left on the table. That's been a struggle for the White Sox offense for as long as I can remember. And as Johnny would call it, being opportunistic. Being opportunistic is definitely cool and tough. The White Sox were able to be somewhat opportunistic, but the, the, the amount of... Two on, no out, going directly to two on, two out is not something that you like to see from a team that's trying to compete for a deep playoff run at this point in time. So didn't really like what I saw from that, but the White Sox were able to get the job done today. Minnesota jumps out to a three-run lead in the second, Uh, attacks on another one there in the fourth, the White Sox were able to get themselves on the board in the fourth inning, but it, it did it just it didn't come easy early for the Sox today.
1: No, it really didn't. I mean they obviously they had to scratch and claw their way to get back into this ball game. Um you know, Lucas Velito there in that second inning. Um you know, the the defensive miscues obviously hurt him there. He should have been out of that inning with one, maybe two runs max um, out of there. But, you know, early on, Lita was really struggling to put hitters away. I know he ultimately ended up having the eight strikeouts, but there were a lot of deep counts that were worked by Minnesota hitters, largely due to the fact that Lucas just wasn't able to command the high fastball today to finish at bats the way he typically is. You know, that's one of the biggest weapons he has. Um, in terms of getting strikeouts is the elevated fastball. He just wasn't able to command it. And we saw Stone and Benetti commenting on this in several instances of McCann setting up high in the strike zone and out of the strike zone, and then Twins hitters following the balls off because he was missing his spots and he just simply didn't have the command with that. So really, it, this was really, in a lot of ways, almost like a tale of two different games here. You know, innings one through four were... Very frustrating, and it almost kind of took you back to like a 2018-style yes. White Sox game. And then from the fifth inning on, then you kind of felt like, okay, this is the 2020 White Sox. We're here to come in and kick your ass.
0: Yeah, and you, you definitely saw a, a switch flipped at some point for this White Sox offense as they were able to put up eight runs. Um, and some of those coming on the back of a guy that we've talked about already so far, and Luis Robert. This was just an all around impressive effort from a team that uh, just did not roll over and die and was able to get out there and get the job done. Uh, I don't think that there's anything to really complain about in that aspect. Uh, but the White Sox uh, at the plate, Tim Anderson drawing a walk today was incredible. Um, just a guy that doesn't walk a lot. Uh, but he was able to walk today, um, and and the White Sox finished with six total walks uh, when all was said and done. But um, I'm not looking for guys to walk all the time, but it's good to see when really aggressive hitters are being a little bit more patient, Steve. I think that's a a, a very valuable skill.
1: Yeah, and I think with a guy like Tim, and, and this is actually one of the things that I've been very impressed with, him to this point in the season you know you're right he's he's never going to be a huge walk guy but i think for him in particular being able to lay off of pitches out of the strike zone and get himself into hitters counts so that he can get a good fastball to drive in a particular spot that he's looking for because he does have strong bat to ball skills i mean that's been very evident uh, throughout the course of his career and you know, for the last year and a half in particular. So if he's able to lay out of pitches outside the strike zone, get himself into 2-0, 3-1 counts where he can sit dead red on a fastball and then just turn and burn, that's that's when Tim Anderson's going to be at his absolute best. So, you know, to see a guy like him and, and Eloy, you know, he, he's a very similar hitter in that sense. You know, so just being able to go out there, get yourself into favorable counts, that is going to be extremely important for this team going forward here. Not just the actual taking walks aspect of the walk. The walks are nice. Um, You know, driving up that on base percentage and you know, it's going to help because when this team hits the ball out of the ballpark, then instead of them being solo shots, they can be two and three run shots.
0: The more you can drive home, the better. And as you said before, ball go far, team go far. Um, The white Sox, got themselves back into this game in the uh, the top of the sixth. And then you really didn't see much else come until the ninth inning when the White Sox were able to put up three more runs on the Twins to drive this one home. But, Steve, overall effort, and we talked a little bit about this before the show started, this was a game that normally this White Sox team would roll over and die. And I think it says a lot about the effort that they put in in the late innings here to get this one done. Um, Quick brief note, we talked a little bit about Aaron Bummer not being here. Matt Foster, 8th inning guy, comes out of the woodwork, and I know I've already mentioned him once on the show, this was a very impressive outing from Foster, who's really earned a spot uh, to continue to pitch in some semi- just very tense roles. So I'm I'm really pleased with what I see from him. Got to be one of my favorite bullpen options. I know we've talked about bolstering that bullpen and everything, but Foster been a very pleasant surprise.
1: Yeah, he's been awesome. You know, he went out there and he showed some stones uh, here in the eighth inning of of a tie game. Again, you know, against a, a main division rival. And he went out there and he was just attacking Right away from from the outset, and that's been one of the things that's been really impressive about Matt Foster here um, throughout the course of this 2020 season is this is a guy that had no major league experience coming into the season, and he looks like he's not afraid out there. He looks like he belongs, and he looks like he wants the ball in pressure packed and high leverage situations, and that's an important trait. In, in a high leverage reliever because there's a lot of guys that you look at and you just see their body language and you see their facial expressions and they don't have the conviction yes. when, they, when they throw their pitches. Matt Foster has that conviction. When Pitching think-
0: with conviction is cool and tough.
1: You have to – listen, as a guy that was a pitcher throughout the course of my, my entire life, there's nothing worse than being out there on that mound by yourself and not believing in what you can do with that baseball. I've been there. I think just about every pitcher at some point goes through a phase where, where they don't have that conviction in what they're doing out there on the mound. And when that happens, your performance suffers. It it just really does because when you've got that ball in your hand, you have to believe that you are the baddest dude on the planet and that it doesn't matter who's in the box against you. You're going to get them out.
0: I love that sentiment because there's been so much out there with a lot of these pitchers that we've seen over the last four or five years. You're talking the Juan Minayas of the world, which was really funny to see him warming up for the Twins tonight, and that might be why his name's on my mind. But the I feel like the Sox are just lacking maybe an option or two to be one of the best bullpens in baseball. And yet here we are um quickly recapping this one this was an eight to five victory over the Minnesota Twins uh at Target Field up in Minnesota Sox getting it done on the road this time but um, you know it's just it's beautiful to see because of the implications that this game had Steve the White Sox now sit on top of the AL Central uh by themselves any other quick notes? I know we've run a little bit long. We're trying to pack a lot into this. Uh, any other quick notes on this game
1: before we preview tomorrow? You know, you talk about where we're at in the standings. The Twins are now three back of the Sox in the lost column. That's a very important number to keep in mind here as, you know, the days on the calendar are waning. We've got little less than four weeks left to go in the season here. So, you know, if the Sox can find a way to take one of these next two games, and I, li- I like the odds tomorrow with Diamond Dallas on the mound. If they can find a way to steal that ball game, before up in the loss column on this Twins team, you got to like your chances.
0: You bring up tomorrow's matchup. It is, in fact, Dallas Keuchel going up against Michael Pineda. Uh, those are your probables for tomorrow. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, very... Um, what's the word I'm searching for here? Uh, very much a guy I don't worry about when when he takes the mound because you know he's a true professional. He's going to get his job done. Maybe he'll be able to provide some relief to uh, this bullpen and go uh, six, seven innings and, and kind of shorten this game here. But uh, Dallas Keuchel has been uh, just an amazing offseason acquisition for the White Sox. Steve, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the preview, but... Who is your pick to click
1: for tomorrow? Yeah. So with Michael Pineda making his first start of the season tomorrow, um, he's probably going to be on a little bit of a short leash. And, you know, you you think he may have a little bit of rust coming off of his PED suspension. So I'm I'm thinking that tomorrow, I'm thinking Edwin Encarnacion. I think we're going to see the parrot go into orbit tomorrow. I like it. Um, you know, Edwin's got plenty of experience running up against Pineda from their time together um, doing battle in the AL East. And so I, I think we're going to see the parrot tomorrow.
0: I like that one. I myself am going to go with – I don't know why I want to pick Nick Madrigal. It's not just a – not a good pick in my opinion because we're looking for that long ball. Eloy Jimenez uh, needs to park one out tomorrow night. Uh, I want to see another one of those games, Steve, where the White Sox just continuously hit home runs over and over again. I know we're not going to get that every night, but the team has the power to do so. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I am at with this one.
1: I like it. I like it a lot.
0: You know what I'm going to like a whole lot more than anything is remaining in first place, Steve. From here on out, and I think that the White Sox have a wonderful opportunity to do that as long as they play the baseball that they're supposed to be playing. You saw that tonight, a resilient effort from a squad that was down early and able to come back and get that victory. I think that's important. Steve, closing thoughts.
1: Let's get this one tomorrow. Let's get a series win. Nothing will make me happier Then seeing this team go up to Minnesota and taking a series on their home field, letting them know we are for real, we mean business. It's White Sox time now. The days of us coming up here being scared of the Minnesota Twins are over. Let's get it done tomorrow.
0: I love it. Love when people throw the Hawkism in there with the over or anything else that Hawk would have said. Uh, I just, I'm, I've got a soft spot for it. So, Steve, it's been wonderful talking baseball with you, especially with the White Sox sitting on top of uh, the AL Central. They look good. They can continue this. I think tomorrow's going to be another victory, and we can hang our hats on that one and take that series. That's going to be an incredible feeling. Every single White Sox fan and the players just to get this one done. Steve, we've broke down everything. We've gone through a ton of stuff. I just have to say, if you enjoyed the show, please, please, please go and give us a five-star rating and review. Let everybody know you like it so that they can go out there and check this out as well. And be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all of your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. We've got coverage of every single Chicago team. It has been a great night to talk about White Sox baseball, Steve. First place, being in first, is just such an incredible feeling. Right now, where we sit, we are a playoff team, but we're also a division winner. And I think that this team can just grind it out and do what they need to do with the way that they've been playing baseball. Obviously you've got to stay healthy. There's question marks around the bullpen. There's question marks around the starting rotation, but when your offense is scoring runs, I don't care who's on the mound as long as they do their job and not allow the same amount of runs that this white Sox offense is able to provide. Comeback victory tonight. Again, the white Sox defeat the Minnesota twins to put themselves in sole possession, sole possession, Steve, of first place in the AL Central. I don't really have anything else, do you?
1: Like I said, get this win tomorrow, win the series, put your foot on their throat right tomorrow from the outset, get a series win, let's go.
0: And with that said close it down how I always do White Sox forever White
1: Sox for life
0: Are you a sports card collector are you looking to buy or sell your vintage cards if so contact josh over at midwest vintage cards with over 25 years of experience in the field midwest vintage cards will pay you cash for your collection check out their ebay store by searching midwest vintage cards or follow them on instagram at midwest vintage cards contact josh at 847-602-8604 or email him at Josh at MidwestVintageCards.com to get your quote today.